Lights, camera, action. Hi, I'm Danielle Isaya. Welcome back to another episode of Mixtake, a world outspoken podcast where we discuss film, television, entertainment, representation, and why we think it's worthy of deeper conversations. And I'm Robert Rivera. In episode one, we discussed the significance of not only Will Smith's career, but also the other black game changers on whose shoulders he stood. In this episode, we'll continue addressing the contributions of black game changers, but this time we'll zero in on the ones in the Latino community. Yeah, I'm excited because in this episode, we're specifically looking at Zoe Saldana. We we know I think formerly we know her as Zoe Saldana. We're gonna talk about why it's Saldana and not na Saldana. Um, so we'll talk about Zoe and other Afro-Latino actors as we discuss things like the misidentification of Latinos in Hollywood and examine why Latinos should be written into more scripts. Yeah, definitely. Donnie, we have kind of a heavy topic here, I feel. I think so. You know, the conversation of representation in film is one that's near and dear to this podcast, one that we talk about often. The reason why we do this is to highlight black and brown filmmakers, actors, people that are telling stories that we feel are important to the world, not just to the black and brown community. They're important to the world, but there are stories. So this episode is probably one of the nearest and dearest as we talk about something that's super close to to the two of us, the Afro-Latino conversation as it relates to film and movies. Right. We do talk about those creators and, and those performers. But yeah, today we're talking about a group of people that I think Hollywood struggles to understand where to place them. And not just Hollywood, but like the broader culture, not just in the States, but even in Latinidad, you know, yeah. in the bigger picture. So this is a group yeah. of people, I think, still trying to feel their way on where exactly do we fit in in this world, in Hollywood, in entertainment, and all those places. Absolutely. You know, I I had a friend once say, Latinos are conversation interrupters. So typically, the conversation of race and ethnicity is a black and white one. And Latinos kind of interrupt the conversation. And that's evidenced even in our Latino History Month. It starts in the middle of September and ends in the middle of October. We don't even get a single month. We interrupt two months right. yeah. as we celebrate Hispanic heritage. When does it start? So, yeah. <laughs> right. So that is an evidence yeah. of like, where do we fit in this conversation? And yes, we're interrupting, but we're a huge factor in this quote unquote interruption. Today, we're one fifth of this country and growing. We're not yeah. shrinking. We're not going nowhere. Our, you know, we multiply. So yeah. we, we need to figure this this whole situation out. We need to figure it out quick because our buying power is incredible. Yeah, definitely. You know, before we dive in, I want to start off with this quote from one of the great philosophers of our time, Lala Anthony. <laughs> love it. I actually really love what she had to say here. She said, after the U.S established independence, it created a legal system of segregation to keep black and white people separated in public spaces. This contributed to the development of a white-black binary view of race. In the U.S., the idea that you can be black and Latino is often confusing to a population trained to conflate race, nationality, and ethnicity. People think Latino equals tan skin and black equals African-American only. 
And because of anti-blackness, both U.S. and Latin American societies uphold this perception. Hmm. Go Lala, speaking the truth. Yep. How difficult. And and I know for, for the two of us, we want to like broach this topic with all humility. We don't have all the answers. We just have some ideas and things that we want to to highlight in this conversation. So to you, our listeners, sit back as we press play on this episode of Mixed Take. Well, I want to talk about people today who don't look Latina or don't look Latino. Mm. I work at a college and a student, a white student uh, recently told me, oh, yeah, well, uh, that person doesn't look Puerto Rican. And I understand, you know, she's ignorant in the topic. So I had to sit down and show her pictures of lots of people in my own family and say, mm. you see this person, very fair skin is Puerto Rican. This person who's darker skin is Puerto Rican. And talk about the nuance because, again, that black-white binary is so ingrained in us. We think that only this perfectly tanned group in the middle can be right. the Latinos. And I don't know if you've ever watched Pearson or 911 Lone Star and these shows like that. Or oh, yeah, yeah. I think way back in the day, Firefly, which I really loved. Um, Gina Torres is an actress on there. And one thing that she's said about Latinos in Hollywood is that we've been hiding in plain sight. And I thought that was a really good way to put it. So that we've we've seen Afro-Latinos. We just didn't know that they were Latino. Yeah. And because you have the white passing Latinos or the black passing Latinos, they inevitably get cast into white roles or black roles instead of having the writers, the producers, the directors write in the role for a Latino or of a Latino. It'll be a white passing Latina like Eva Mendez playing, you know, whatever, Sarah Carter instead yeah. of Sarah Perez or Lopez or something like that. Um, but just, again, the white passing cast into these white roles and the black passing cast into black roles. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. I don't want to turn this into Gina um, Torres, but she did mention in, in one episode of Alias, she was she was trying out for a role that was supposed to be some Russian spy or something, and they liked her, but they were like, yeah, but you're, you don't fit the role. And she's like, hey, let me do this with a Russian accent. And it blew them away, and they, they, they wanted to, to change her name to something Russian, and she had to explain to them that, um, that there are a lot of Cubans in Russia and that it would be, it would not be inconsistent for her character to be Latina and Russian. Hmm. So I want to make a point here real quick before I forget that in this discussion about Afro-Latinidad, it would be an injustice on our part to admit the fact that the parent organization of this podcast, World Outspoken, has already begun the conversation about understanding and embracing the Afro-Latino. So with that in mind, and in full disclosure, I leaned on those scholars and thinkers of World Outspoken to help frame this conversation for me. One of the articles that really stuck out to me was um, Double Punishment, Immigration and Anti-Blackness by John Aragon. And he says, growing up, I had an identity crisis. Here stateside, we're trained to homogenize communities and strip individuals of the rich and varied ancestral cultural identity. So I was not black enough to be black, even though I'm dark-skinned. I wasn't embraced by the African-American community because that's not the culture I grew up in. But I also wasn't Latino enough to be Latino, even though I'm Colombian. I didn't look like the white and light brown actors on Telemundo. Somehow, being black and Latino became mutually exclusive. I couldn't be both. So who or what 
was I? I? I like that because I think he's touching on even more than just his skin color, but just the the nuance of how unique Latinos are from one context to another, one country to another, even the different parts of, of the country. And, and we want to homogenize it all. And just, it's easy for us, right? If we just take a group of people and just slap a label and say, all, all of you are just like this. Okay. So Rob, I have a question for you. Yeah. So if acting is acting, you know, you're not you in the role, you're playing the part of somebody else. Is it wrong for a Latino to play the part of a black person or a white person? Or should Latinos, you know, insist that the role be changed to that of a Latino? What are your thoughts? I feel like this is such a loaded question because I'm just going to go there. You know, In the Heights last year had drew so much controversy and that wasn't even giving the role of an African-American person or an African-American person to a Latino, but it it was really a conversation of, of skin tone within the Latino community. So with that being said, mm-hmm. I think it's all in the way that that character is portrayed. You know, we talked about Birth of a Nation, and in Birth of a Nation, there were white people that were black, you know, black-faced, but mm-hmm. they were villains, and they were a very negative stereotype of the African-American. So if there's an Afro-Latino playing an African-American, but they do the role justice or, or vice versa, I'm actually okay with that. I love giving new actors opportunities. Um, I also understand the industry. You want that star power. You want those big names. So I think as long as it's done justice, I'm okay with it for the most part. I'm sure that there there are situations where it really bothers me, and maybe it's because of the way it's handled. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? Man, it, it's so hard because I understand, you know, when Jamie Foxx plays the role of Ray Charles, He's playing the role of a blind man. And I'm not mad that he's cast into that role, even though he's not a blind person. So, you know, in one sense, it's like I I fully comprehend that people who aren't a part of a demographic or a people group may get a part because of their talent, their hard work, sometimes connections. Would I hope that we live in a world where the stories of all of its citizens are so valued and cherished and loved and upheld and we want everybody to feel seen that there would be space in Hollywood for the conversation interrupters, a.k.a. Latinos in our stories. I would say absolutely. And then who would be playing those parts? Yeah. Man, this is hard. Like, would I be mad at Angelina Jolie playing the role of a Mexican? Doesn't Catherine Zeta? In Zorro, is she playing the role of a of oh, Latina? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and she's from Wales. I thought she was a Latina for, mo- for the most of the majority of the 90s. I thought she was Mexican. There has been an erasure of the mm. Afro-Latino. We, we, can just, we can just say that in Hollywood, right? Mm. There aren't a lot of stories that surround the Afro-Latino. Right. We'll say that there are Afro-Latinos that are cast into film, but those stories, yes, I agree, they're not being told. Yeah. Because you do have the Rosario Dawson's and the Zoe Saldana's. Sure. If people are playing different ethnicities, I'm okay with it as long as we're not erasing those stories. Like, I want to hear more stories about the Afro-Latino. So if there's some Afro-Latinos in that movie and then there's some Mm -hmm. African-American actors and actresses that can also help fill out the talent there, I'm okay with that. Mm Mm-hmm. And speaking of Zoe Saldana, 
She is, to me, one of the more notable yeah. Afro-Latinas. I think, you know, we, we know her from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. We know her from Star Trek. We Love know it. her from Avatar. She's been in some, like, huge blockbuster films in the past and oh, upcoming. There's more, there's more Avatars coming oh, up, and there's the third Guardians of the Galaxy. She's got those franchises down. Yeah. And she's perfect for each role. Like, she gets cast, she plays them, and she slays them. She's absolutely amazing. One thing that, as I was researching her life, her story, stood out to me was we know her as Zoe Saldana, but in uh, a recent film called Maya and the Three, her credit name is spelt with an enye, so it's Salanya. And she says this about why she moved from Saldana to Saldana. First is that Mm -hmm. it's her original name. And the reason why she's gone through most of her life as Saldana, or sometimes she would, I think in interviews, say Saldana, is that in kindergarten, Zoe's teacher said this, I'm not going to pronounce it like that. That letter doesn't exist. And so since she became a mom, Zoe, she's really tried to like connect more to her identity, to her heritage, and really kind of getting back to her Dominican and Puerto Rican roots. I knew this girl in, in my kindergarten class, same same deal, her, and her name was Deborah Diaz mm. instead of Deborah Diaz. Mm. Diaz. So I always thought it was oh, Diaz. For real? Wow. And to the teachers that are listening to this podcast, the power that you have to change literally the course of your students' lives, especially at, at a younger age. I mean, really at any level, you spend so yeah. many waking hours with your students wow how how incredibly tragic that her name you know like as as people that believe in the bible and believe in its power name means so much to our personhood so to have her true name ripped from her at such a young age just absolutely incredible so for the duration of the show we will be referring to her as Zoe Saldana you know, to blend in, in in a sense, to Americanize her name so that people aren't intimidated. Oh, yeah. You know, she's a star now, right? But maybe early on, mm-hmm. rather than trying to correct oh, yeah. people casting Every her. Every person all the time. Right. Robert Rivera. Do you ever like... Roberto, actually. Roberto Rivera. Yeah. So do you ever like, I don't know, make it a point to like roll the R's and... And give the you know the proper pronunciation. You, you know what's funny is, is I'm a junior and my family called me Robert, so that's just if anyone's wondering why I go by that. So. And your dad is Roberto. Yeah, also goes by Robert as well. Oh, okay. They both go by Robert. So you know, in elementary school, they would call me Roberto. <laughs> Rude. Or sometimes I hear Roberto, and hmm. that's fine to me. I don't I don't like the way that sounds pronounced in English, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't correct people. Hmm. It's interesting because my dad, he would introduce himself as, hi, I'm Roberto. People would pronounce my last name, Rivera, Rivera. It's, you know, I'm just like, whatever. I'm not. Um, You're not going to fight over yeah. it. See, and I will. <laughs> because people want to say. Alicia. Alicia. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a first name. My name is Alicia. And I like try to like give them the phonetics of it. I'm like Ali, like Muhammad Ali, and say like you say a phrase. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, Alicia. 
Like, never mind. Yeah, that's what I said. Right. Right. No, exactly. Well, you know what? You have a lot more patience than I do. I'm like, say it with me. You could do it. Ali. No. No, I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, to our guy, a uh, friend of World Outspoken. Actually, he's involved somehow. He's going to kill me for not knowing this. But uh, Hugo, <laughs> Hugo Perez. You Hugo know, Perez. Always. I, I heard him correcting that name. All th- you know, I've known him forever. And mm-hmm. people would call him Hugo Perez, and he's like, "No, it's Hugo Perez," and and he was very adamant. And uh, you know, yeah, that stuck out to me. I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I like that." Absolutely. I mean, in America, if we can learn the name Dostoevsky, we can surely pronounce Rivera. Dosta- How do you say that? Dostoevsky. Da- Dosta- <laughs> say it with me. No, I'm just kidding. Just like <laughs> Dostoevsky. No. Did you get that okay. quote from a movie? Yeah, it's from, uh, no, actually it's from, it's not from a movie. It's uh, Orange is the New Black. There's a character called Crazy Eyes. Her name is, I believe, Uzo Aduba. And she, uh, her mom was basically like, if Americans can learn the name Dostoevsky, Mm. they can learn your name, Uzo Aduba. And so she was adamant about her. Yeah. Not changing her name exactly. or not like Hollywoodizing herself to, you know, make her more popular. So well, you know, Saldana it is. Saldana it is. And it sounds nicer. She uh she and I actually share a birth year and she's a little oh. bit older than me. Whoa. She was born in nineteen seventy eight in New Jersey. Oh, you guys are kids. We were we're babies. Grew up in Jackson Heights, New York City. She speaks Spanish and English. She has two sisters. One interesting thing about her I mean, of course, all that is interesting, but her dad died when she was about nine mm. in a car accident. And so her mom took the girls, moved down to the Dominican Republic and stayed there for, I think, about eight years or so. Then while she was in the DR, Zoe studied ballet, really got into dance and feels that that gave her a flair for performance. When they moved back to New York City She joined Faces, a theater group in the city, and started acting, did some things with New York Theater, and from there, her career just took off. So she was a star, you know, right from from the get, from ballet to acting. This girl does it all. Oh, yeah. What was your your introduction to Zoe? I saw her in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. That was probably the first, yeah. Blink and you miss her, but... um, It wasn't that small. She, she has, you know, she has she maybe five lines, maybe. She, yeah, she did her thing. But it sticks out. Like I still, I like I remember her very well from that. Oh yeah, I think what I probably remember her most from is Avatar and Star Trek, the two thousand nine. Yeah. When both of those like giant films released, I was like, yo. And then I looked back and was like, oh yeah, she was in Pirates of the Caribbean. She didn't right. like stand out to me in the role. Like she did her thing, but. She really stood out to me in Avatar and Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. Well, in Avatar, yeah, she was she was on the front end of that when they were revolutionizing the motion capture, like the cameras to the face and the dots in the face to capture, you know, capture her facial movements in the mm. in the CGI. Yeah, 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 yeah. She did her thing. Good stuff. Ugh. Yeah. So while we're looking back, let's press rewind and take a look at the challenges of maybe not looking Latino or Latina enough and how that has affected Zoe's career. So for us, 
we know her from her starring blockbuster movies, Star Trek, which came out in 2009, 2013, 2016. Avatar, again, came out in 2009. And then her role as Gamora in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Mm -hmm. the MCU. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was 2014, 2017. And then Avengers uh, Infinity War was 2018. And then Avengers Endgame 2019. She had like just a successful <laughs> rock star yeah. couple of years in oh, there. She, she got paid. So busy. She got paid. She got paid. Her kids got paid. For, for a while, Avatar was like the best-selling movie of all time. Did Endgame pass that up? Is that what Endgame is? The, the best-selling movie of all time? So Zoe Saldana is in the two highest grossing films of all time with important roles in each movie yeah absolutely she is a star in in both films nobody else can say that and she's in the guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy honestly it's in my top five of the marvel movies it might even be top three of my favorite marvel movies part of it is the synergy the casting the music the story they just hit everything so right. Yeah. There's things that we love in each of the MCU movies. We're both big nerds. But in that movie, oh, man, it's just like prime. The comedy is just right. The heartstrings. It's sad enough. It's funny enough. It's tantalizing enough. I agree. It's up there. I'm with you. But before she was in those roles, she played in films like Crossroads with Britney Spears, Drumline with Nick Cannon, The Terminal alongside Tom Hanks, Guess Who, where she played alongside Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher. And then finally, 2011, she played her a feature role in Colombiana and then alongside Ben Affleck in Live by Night in 2016. One role that was probably the most controversial of anything that Zoe has done was the role of Nina Simone in the film Nina, which released in 2016. The movie had about a $7 million budget and only grossed somewhere less than $50,000. It was a huge fail and fans were upset that Zoe seemed to play the role of a person who was blackface. She had to paint her skin to look darker. Nina Simone is, if you're not familiar with who Nina Simone is, she was a singer, very dark skinned, very controversial. To play the role, Zoe had to have a prosthetic nose, again, paint her skin, and felt after the film was released, this backlash of you have light skin privilege. And instead of passing the role and giving it to somebody who's darker skinned, you were basically kind of selfish and and you're not even black anyway and she's like ah but i am black i'm afro-latina and then the need to you know kind of explain her blackness and all that all that good stuff so very controversial for her my question for you rob is what are your thoughts on that and then i have a follow-up question first of all i understand a community saying we have talent that can fill that role a Mm -hmm. but b The hard part about this situation is not that. The hard part about the situation is that where then can Zoe go? All right. Especially in 2016 and before. Where can she go if she cannot play an African-American like she did in Guess Who? Yeah. So, you know, she's playing an an African-American in that movie. It's like if she doesn't play that, Hollywood didn't know what to do with the Afro-Latino. Right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what other roles can she play? So in this situation... I feel for her because she's kind of stuck. Her intention is not to hijack roles that should be 
save for another community, but rather it's take this role or don't work, you know? So, and I think the term blackface was misused. Yes. She's black. Right. So it's like, wait a second. She wasn't blackfacing. Usually blackface was a white person who paints themselves black to be funny to white audiences. And then to the black community, it's demeaning and hurtful. That wasn't at all what Zoe was doing. So it was like, ah, you're using the wrong term, number one, and you are projecting your sense of blackness onto somebody else, which again is, that's like a snowball going down a hill. That's, that thing is just going to get massive because it's like, well then who gets to dictate dictate who's black enough or who's light-skinned enough? Oh my goodness. Okay, so the second question I have for you, mm-hmm. if I if I can ask one yeah. more, is this. Do actors need to apologize for the roles that they played if they played an ethnicity outside of their own? So, for example, mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. He played the role of a Mexican-American Tony Mendez in the 2012 film Argo. Or Scarlett Johansson played the role of a Japanese character Motoko Kusanagi in the 2017 film Ghost in the Shell. Do they need to apologize for maybe cultural appropriation or misrepresentation or something like that? Yeah, I don't know if it's cultural appropriation necessarily because they're not white people trying to embrace it. They're playing a different – I don't know what happened with the ghost in, in the shell thing. Like, I don't know what they were going for as a feel in that mm-hmm. movie. I think Scarlett Johansson was a hot name, sticker in there, star power, and it kind of backfired. Should they apologize? That should be up to them individually. If they feel mm-hmm. that they did some sort of injustice to the role or the script or the role was written in a way that that negatively portrayed the person. So for instance, Ben Affleck's character actually I'm just gonna be ignorant here. I don't I don't know the true life story as well. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, right. his ethnicity doesn't come into play in the story itself. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really change it. Scarlett Johansson is a different story. I don't really feel like she needs to. If she wants to, she can. But I think it was a weird choice to to kind of whitewash <laughs> such a popular, right? You know, pro- property, right? So this isn't yeah, something that's yeah. coming out of nowhere. People are expecting a certain brand. You know, this happened with the, the last Airbender movie that M Night Shyamalan um, did, yeah. and, and yep. he changed these characters who, in the cartoon, you feel like, oh, they're Asian. Um, in the movie, they're not. So I'm just dancing around it a little bit, but I don't know if they have to apologize unless I think that there's a misrepresentation or the movie is, is definitely misrepresenting a group of people. What Your thoughts? Helpful. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get away with it. You answer the question, too. <laughs> kidding me? Uh, We're going to get two sound bites, you know. <laughs> Come on, Roberto Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, you asked it. And I asked it. I'm an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> like, wow, that's a that's okay. a really profound question that I, I asked. <laughs> I'm so rude. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So should should they apologize? Maybe it's less of an apology looking back, but an acknowledgement here and now. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like we're ignorant. We just don't know. And until these conversations start to happen and black and brown people vocalize 
why there are issues here, then it's like, oh, okay. And other people from ethnic heritages start to listen. And it's like, oh, okay, this is how we do better. And now that we know better, if we don't do better, then the apology needs to happen. But, you know, looking back, I don't think these conversations were being had, conversations of colorism, conversations about the, the and, and maybe they were, but maybe in, in more like, not as on the national level, like what the 2020 riots brought about and what the Black Lives Matter movement um, has done for this conversation over, you know, beginning uh, May 2020 and onward. Yeah. There, there's just more of a spotlight now. You know what the fear is for me in that situation is if they're in these movies and, and we feel like, okay, maybe they need an apology. I like what you said, maybe make a statement. The problem is in a lot of ways we've lost the ability to have conversations with an open mind. Sure. So yeah. the in the Heights controversy mm-hmm. happens and it didn't really open up conversation. It was just two sides and Lynn Manuel put out this statement to appease the masses, but really there there was no room for dialogue and discussion. Maybe he had some thoughts on that. Maybe he had some some mm-hmm. deeper reasons on why he cast it the way he cast it or helped cast it the way he cast it or um John M. Chu had some ideas there as well. But just go on Facebook. Just go on Facebook mm-hmm. and see if we can have civil discourse. Right. Part of that is a virtual world because of COVID. A lot of us, I mean, still, there's yeah. variants that continue to come out. Definitely. And many of us live with or near people that are older or at risk. And so we have to take much more precaution and things will stay virtual for the foreseeable future. So, yes, the joy of dialogue, discourse, being able to work through huge issues like this is so much more difficult because, again, virtual conversations don't necessarily allow all the time for the organic things that you need to really work out these bigger conversations and and issues that have really plagued humanity for, for millennia. This isn't a new conversation of racism, of people not being seen, their stories not being told, being overlooked, overshadowed, preference, you know, preferential treatment being given to one type of people or even a gender. So this isn't anything new to humanity, um, but I am glad that these conversations are at least starting to be had and we have platforms like this to be able to, to share what we think. You know, there's an actor, Laz Alonzo. He's from The Boys. And he's Cuban. Uh, is this the the boy? Oh, on Amazon, on Amazon Prime, Prime. superhero, like the anti-hero. Exactly. Oh, love the show. So he's the black guy. He's Cuban. The reason I'm bringing him up is because going back to the in the heights thing, I think that revealed that this conversation is not just though about you know the white America not knowing what to do with the Afro Latino, but it goes beyond that, right? Even his own people don't have a place for him. You'll never see him on on Spanish television, and that's not for a lack of not wanting those roles. So he sees himself as both Latino and black. He says, when people say, how can you be one or the other? I always remind them that I'm both. I'm black and I'm Cuban. No different than you can be black and American or black and British or black and anywhere else. What really ends up confusing them is, because I was born in the U.S., I'm the first American born in my family. I'm really black American too. 
Ethnicity is Cuban. Nationality is American, but race is black. And I'm all three equally. And I find that when I have that conversation, I'm educating fellow Latinos as much as I'm educating anybody else. And where he goes on to talk about how he doesn't get these roles. He doesn't get roles in Spanish television because he doesn't look, he doesn't look the part even in, you know, in the Latino community. He's, be, he's bewildered of how unaware Latinos are of their history. And Gina Torres, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. said that she thinks that they're aware. They're just ignoring the African roots. Interesting. You know, Laz Alonso, he also plays in LA Finest, mm. which is on Netflix. This was Gabrielle Union and uh, Jessica Alba. Phenomenal actor, does an incredible job. Harkening back to the top of the episode where it's like Latinos that don't necessarily look Latino, you wouldn't know until they either speak Spanish or they tell you their story. Hiding in plain sight is 100% absolutely like yeah. on the nose. Yep. So going back to Zoe, just just another question for you. She is arguably best known for her roles as a blue creature yeah. or being, a blue being in Avatar and a green being in the MCU. A blue Pandorian. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Why is a talented, beautiful Latina best known for roles where she's playing these creatures or these beings rather than a person like are are Latinos so other for Hollywood that we don't know where to put them. So we put them in these exotic, weird, crazy roles of like, they are other. First of all, she's talent. So they need a talent for those roles. Mm -hmm. I think that in some ways I can respect it. You know, they, maybe James Cameron didn't want to just put a white person in that role. Right, right, right. The Navi are not, you know, they're made up race of, of people on, <laughs> right, on right. Pandora. Of course. I don't look at those roles and say, and, and fault them for casting her in, in those roles. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I think the, oh, I think the bigger question would be, those are the roles we know her for. We don't know her for a whole lot of other work. And I think it's, you answered your own question as well, because there, there is not really a lot of, there aren't a lot of places for her. And so, right. yeah, we don't get it. Again, I do hear that conversation about like, Washington Heights is the perfect opportunity to in- introduce a lot of Afro-Latino actors. I totally hear that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing, I want to point people to another article real quick. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called Are Black Bodies Cursed? A Dominican Racial Identity and, and the Life of Oscar Wow by uh, Kerwin Rodriguez, good friend, uh, who wrote, wrote this article on the World Outspoken. Again, please go to worldoutspoken.com. And search Afro Latino, you're gonna find a lot of great articles. But just this idea that the that the black that the black body is 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 cursed, and I think that that carries into Hollywood, and so that there aren't these roles for these people, and it just builds into that that idea of like, okay, we don't we don't really want you. You're not what we're looking for, and in that way, their skin has been a curse, but it's been a curse that's been inflicted on them. Not it's not something that's inherent in them. They have been cursed or in a lot of ways punished for the way that they mm. look. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to instead of applaud the beauty of diversity, applaud, accept, enjoy our differences 
we are so afraid of what we don't know. We're so afraid of something that looks different that rather than applauding, embracing, enjoying, learning from, looking to, we judge, we ostracize, we demonize. That that absolutely breaks my heart because whether we're light-skinned, dark-skinned, somewhere in the middle, we're all made in, in God, God's image. You know, we, we bear intellect, we bear emotion, we bear uh, free will. Um, and man, that, that, is, that is just so incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. I like that. Yeah, we are image bearers. We we're made in the image of God. And if we're made in the image of God, then, then all of these different skin colors represent really at the core of who God is. I understand that, that being yeah. an image bearer is not about Hey, look, we have hands and we have feet, but right, right. That uh, we have a will, we have creativity, uh, we have so much to offer that that go. We can, we have the ability to love, right, and have compassion, and but yes, we oversimplify that and we devalue the image bearers mm-hmm. by the way that they, by the way that they look. Oh, so sad. Well, I think that takes us to the part of our show that we like to call Fast Forward. Thank yes. you, Rob, for for those thoughts. Um, and thank you, Kerwin, if you listen to this episode. Thank you for your thoughts and, and sharing that on World Outspoken. Uh, in this segment, we anticipate upcoming Zoe Saldana projects as well as talk about projects that we'd love to see her in. Well, let me let me uh, throw a question out at you, Donnie. Okay. okay. Ready? All Hit right. Me. Hit me with your best shot. All right, it's not a hard one. What future Zoe Saldana film are you looking forward to the most? Now, I'm going to throw out some options here. Okay. Maya in the three. Wait, do I have to pick one of these options? Well, you just give me, I... yeah, and give me, you can give me a few. That's okay. Maya, oh, okay, Maya cool. in the three. Avatar two. Avatar three. Avatar four. Avatar <laughs> five. I'm not making that up. Look it up. I know you're not. That's what's funny. Guardians of the Galaxy three or, or some uh-huh. other project. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I would say I'm most looking forward to anything where Zoe speaks Spanglish because we haven't seen her use her Spanish much yeah, in film right. and she is a native Spanish speaker. Yep. So something like Maya and the Three. Go watch it. Um, or more like that. And then any film starring Zoe where she is the first name in the credits like Colombiana. Uh, I think because she's got so much stardom and and accolade and and so many great movies under her belt at this point i think it would be just she would be amazing in the box office and of course like every other mcu fan out there i'm super stoked for guardians of the galaxy 3 who isn't it's obviously going to be super fantastic and i'm looking forward to it how about you what are you looking forward to yeah i love guardians i really do i love actually part one and two so part three um, is going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what her role is post Endgame, um, and and what that role will look like. Either way, I'm sure they're going to do it right. I, I'm also with you, Donnie. I would, outside of these options, yeah, the Avatar sound great. Those sound awesome. I I'm so glad that there was a 75 year gap between Part One and Two, but. <laughs> I, I right, would love right. to see her, like you said, in a role where she is, yeah, she is a Latina living in a Latina community and in, in, in the States here, maybe something representing 
you know, where she's from, somewhere in New York or something. And um, again, I would love more films like that and let her be the one to really kick it off and 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 make it, no, you know, normative that, that we have Afro-Latinos, we have communities of Afro-Latinos, here they are, put them on the big screen, right, and right. no longer is this a question mark like, wait, are they Latino? Are they, what are they, you know? Open up that conversation and just do it. You, Zoe. Absolutely. Do it, girl. All right, so finally we press pause to reflect, give our final takes, and highlight recurring themes in the life and career of Zoe Saldana. I'll kick it off. I would say, um, you know, one of the big things that I love about the roles that Zoe selects is that she chooses roles where she is, you know, powerful, independent, strong, and intelligent. And what that then images or gives a picture of to Latinas, you know, light skin and dark skin, I absolutely just love, you know, so from her, her role as Uhura in Star Trek, on a Tyrion avatar, Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy, again, just the strength that she portrays being literally a superhero i just absolutely yeah. love so i love those reoccurring themes in the films that she selects and and i hope that she continues to choose roles like that how about you rob final thoughts i'm gonna jump off the screen a little bit and just talk about uh, zoe the person i love that like ava duvernay she is a person who wants to empower others so she started a media company or is a part of this media company called bese or i think i i don't know how to pronounce it it's b-e-s-e and really the, the idea, you can go on Instagram and find this, reshaping the existing narrative by shining light on the untold stories that reflect today's America. When you visit the website, it's just this idea of like the new American dreams, not one, but many diverse, but united, a tapestry, a symphony, a nation for which we stand. Arm, arm. I'm sure this is a spoken word that I'm butchering right now, but it reminds me a lot of what World Outspoken is doing, right? helping the people of this country understand that this country is changing. Embrace it. There's beauty in it. It's a tapestry. It's not something to fear, but but mm -hmm. to welcome. And she's trying to do that uh, via media and news and things like that. So I appreciate, like you said, she's very um, intentional in the roles she takes, but it goes beyond that. Now she's using her influence to to help reshape the narrative not just in in film but in our culture i love it i love that well this is where we press stop thank you so much for joining us on this episode of mixed take if you enjoyed the episode please give us five stars also head over to world.spoken.com a site preparing the mestizo church for cultural change where you'll find information on consulting services thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, and the one and only Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. Check out the articles, particularly that Rob mentioned throughout the show on Afro-Latinidad, mm -hmm. again, on worldoutspoken.com. There's a lot. There's a lot. You get lost in it in a good way, awesome. in a good way. <laughs> a special thanks to our producer, Michelle Perez. Also, thanks to Emmanuel Padilla and the World Outspoken crew. We've said a lot and would love to hear from you as well. Do you agree with our take? Do you disagree? It's okay. I, I know we've said 
uh, some things in the episodes in the past that people have disagreed with. That's great. We, we love the conversation. Is there anything to add that we missed? Let's keep this conversation going. Engage us via email, mixtake at worldoutspoken.com. Leave comments on our posts. Find us, DM us, whatever it may be. We want to hear from you. We hope that you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture influencing content creators. And until next time, cut. It's a wrap.